Welcome to the Family Business AudioCast on LinkedIn. I am R. Adam Smith, creator of this AudioCast series. As an entrepreneur, investor, founder, investment banker, and board leader the last 25 years, I'm fortunate for my many experiences within the family firm industry. A warm thank you to our live audience on LinkedIn today and for those listening in the future. A brief comment on why I created this broadcast. Private companies are a passion of mine, having grown up in a family of entrepreneurs and having engaged for two decades in deals, strategic transformations, investments, and boards with an array of fascinating family enterprises, family firms, and family offices. I founded this series to offer a useful platform for listeners to hear from veterans, academics, and leaders in the vast family firm ecosystem. Whether you're a family business owner, building, running, or advising a family office, or just expanding your family office activities, I hope these conversations are useful and enlightening. And now it's time to turn our attention to our accomplished guests on today's episode. I'm very pleased to host today my friend Massimo Bao. Massimo, welcome to the AudiCast today. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. And thanks for the invite. It's great to have you here. Um, so we're going to kick it off uh, in a couple of minutes with him, but I would just like to share um, a little bit on his illustrious background briefly. Massimo is a senior associate professor in family business and ownership at the Jagdeping International School in Sweden and also director of the Center for Family Entrepreneurship and Ownership. He's also the research director and member of the board of the International Family Enterprise Research Academy, also involved in the Fellow Family Firms Institute, also a member of the Academy Academic Advisory Board of the Board's Impact Forum and co-founder of the European Family Business Centers. He also is on the faculty of the Family Business Institute at the Grossman School of Business, University of Vermont, and also a member of the Scientific Committee of the National Center for Family Business at Dublin City University. Earlier, he obtained his PhD in Business Administration from the University of Italy, writing his thesis entitled Family Embeddedness and Entrepreneurial Entry. He teaches on family business, entrepreneurship, also creativity, design thinking, and research methods, and covers a wide range in the academic realm. He's also a fellow of the Family Firms Institute, which is the leading association worldwide for family entrepreneur professionals. He's a member of the Board Impact Forum, as I mentioned, and he's very involved in the Scandinavian uh, market as well. Um, and just all around uh, extreme expert in this space of family enterprises, family firms, family ecosystems. Wonderful to have, have him here today. Uh, Massimo, how are you and where are you today? Thank you so much. I'm, I'm very good. I'm sitting in my office in Young Shopping in Sweden. So um, I would say it was a work day like uh, many others, but uh, exciting because quite a lot of discussion taking place today about the future of family business education and other activities we are doing in the center. You know, in uh, one year, we're going to celebrate 20 years anniversary and that uh, it's occupied quite a lot of discussion in this period. Uh, Massimo, uh, why don't we dig into some of the um, topics today with your involvement in family business uh, and all of your uh, academic and board posts. Why don't we start talking about the unique aspects and lessons you've gained from collaborating with a whole wide range of family business organizations in the world? I think that the main learning is the fact that uh, families uh, can uh, be very different. Uh, uh, at the same time, they generally share quite common issues, quite common problems. And um, the starting point for approaching uh, those problems often passes through 
curiosity that is uh, leading to um, education uh, and an interest over education in the topics that uh, this family are facing. So somehow everything uh, that uh, we are at the end doing when we are scholars working in family business, when we work with family companies, is try to stimulate uh, this curiosity, this interest in uh, collecting information, discussing information, finding ways to uh, answer questions uh, and stimulate the right questions in the discussion. And this is true at uh, very different uh, levels because uh, family business members can have different roles. Uh, they can come in in different ways and they can have, uh, of course, uh, different experiences as they have different ages in the moment in which we are in dialogue with them. I'm thinking, how has the family business education evolved the last decade, especially involving entrepreneurship and the, the entrepreneurial um, fabric of the family enterprise, um, and then also on the governance side. Interested in your thoughts on the evolution the last the last five or ten years? I, I would say that family business education evolved substantially across years. If we look, uh, most probably ten years ago, there were very few institutions, there were very few schools that were having um, family business education uh, that were having a family business course. And this number of uh, organizations has been uh, growing through time. On the other side, uh, in, in a large part, uh, uh, it has been a bit an approach of one size fits all or one course fits all. And this may be something that has been uh, substantially changing uh, in the last five years, where an attention to uh, targeting different uh, type of groups uh, in different types of roles, in different types of stages of their life, uh, are um, looking for receiving education connected to family business. On the other side, I would say also that the type of uh, content and focuses uh, has been substantially evolved. So we can actually discuss uh, in, in two different ways. When we talk about uh, the individuals that are taking and looking for family business courses uh, today, I will say that we can observe that uh, we have, of course, the next generation group. And the next generation group is the one that we generally meet in universities, that we are meeting in class and we are building a lot of dialogue and consideration with them. And in our case, for example, the Union Shopping, we use with them two different tracks. So one is an entrepreneurship track where the focus is really on um, the entrepreneurial perspective, entrepreneurial background, uh, the cohabitation, uh, the coexistence, the relationship between individuals that are sharing uh, um, entrepreneurial activities. And on the other side, there is the track that look more on managerial focus, where the complexity goes more into more structure, organization, uh, older families, etc. But then actually we identify other types of uh, groups so that we are working with uh, education. We are running programs with uh, doctoral students. So we are having two doctoral courses in family business plus a full program. Um, we are also working with different ages of uh, um, uh, family business members in executive education. I would say that most probably the most uh, interested in education uh, as a target group is the one that uh, is uh, most probably in the phase of completing their succession. Uh, they are in the phase of uh, being between, uh, in the range of their 40s, and they are starting to think about how can I make this passage smoother for uh, my next gen and how I can create the better conditions for them. Right. Um, maybe one additional aspect is the fact that uh, 
family offices, uh, family wealth uh, as a look at seek for more and more space uh, into education. And that somehow changed a bit of the focus that we are having when we talk with uh, the participant to the course, because we are not anymore focusing on one single business. We are looking more into a constellation of businesses or even more into a investment perspective. Right. And, and that leads us to the point of uh, impact and sustainability that are, of course, the big topics that we are uh, very much pushed to discuss with uh, our participants nowadays. Yeah, let's, we will address that uh, towards the end of the, of the call. I agree with you. In the meantime, um, in terms of succession, uh, which is uh, quite a vogue topic today, we spoke about succession extensively with some previous guests of you know, in the industry, including uh, Guillermo Salazar, Christina Wing, Ron Diamond, and of course, Alfredo Damasis, who talked about succession moving into the minds of, of family businesses and family offices and family enterprises in the world. And clearly, it's uh, quite a substantial uh, issue, uh, not only financially, but also in terms of governance, in terms of, in terms of culture. Um, you have... Um, you specifically uh, written a great deal about the the entrepreneurial context of the family office and researching uh, the different processes. I, I want to I want to highlight some of those research areas that you that you do and maybe comment on them first. You talk about family dynamics and the influence of family members on the actor's decision of entry and exit into the the entrepreneurial process. Um, actually, we spoke about this earlier with Matt Hughes from familybusiness.org. That's quite interesting. Secondly, you focus on the academic entrepreneurship and factors enabling new startup and ventures and technology transfer. And then lastly, the uh, family office uh, collaborating with other firms, um, which also leads us to the topic of the multifamily office and the development of that entity as a more, as a more uh, complete and advanced organization. Talk a bit about a little bit more about this entrepreneurial adventure and what you see uh, in the market today for the family offices and family firm. Well, there are uh, different uh, different perspectives that we see, and we see that uh, families are um, reflecting uh, on how to evolve, how to um, mature in their own uh, role and uh, activities. We know the fact that uh, family offices uh, are expensive as organization and they need to be properly managed. They need to have a combination of competencies that provide um, solid support for the investment decisions that the family is going to do. We should also reflect about uh, how much, uh, in particular, when we look about uh, larger families and we even go to the direction of multifamily offices, the different family members outside, most probably the inner circle represented by the elderly generation, feel involved and feel connected to the family office in their organization, uh, that the family connect to, because those are all aspects that somehow push toward a reflection about uh, how the family office can better serve the family that they represent. 
Um, and in this sense, I think you can uh, connect a bit also all the discussion about uh, investing and investing, uh, entering and leaving, what are the, how, where the art of the family is, where are the um, aspects uh, in which the family wants to make an impact and to what extent uh, the attention goes to which type of impact uh, is the focus on the financial return, is the focus on impact investing. And these are all elements of uh, differentiation and elements that can uh, somehow uh, should be put in the agenda of a family office reflecting about uh, how to better answer to the question, the needs, uh, and represent the values of the family that they are actually working with and working for and uh, part of. There's lots to unpack there, of course. Um, so let's uh, talk about the areas that you think in the family enterprise market um, that are uh, not adequately researched in the in the world today. What area do you think that the academic community um, and also the uh, the practitioners should be focused on that are that's not adequately covered? That's honestly is a million dollar question because uh, I would say that uh, the field is constantly evolving. Uh, is a field that is uh, uh, looking for. Uh, answers that are more and more detailed, answers that are more and more uh, somehow representative of uh, uh, the different uh, instances uh, that uh, can at the end be configured as a family companies. The, the main complexity in the family business field is the fact that uh, we talk about family business, but we are describing an extremely heterogeneous group. We are describing a group that is represented by a multiplicity of uh, ownership forms. Uh, one among others, for example, we are conducting an extensive uh, project uh, that investigates uh, the role of uh, family foundation here in the Scandinavian context where I where I operate. Um, so the different type of uh, ownership uh, configuration, the ownership transitions, the way in which uh, um, these ownership competencies are built and are transferred, are preserved and are further developed. This, of course, represents important aspects uh, that uh, require more and more research. Uh, surprisingly, I would say, if I have to put one topic among others, uh, uh, the topic of ownership uh, that apparently from maybe a, a legal perspective might appear to be a very solid, a very well-known investigated aspect uh, is one of those that uh, business literature has investigated the less. Uh, a large part of the literature has been just building uh, uh, knowledge, theories, and models uh, around the concept that uh, uh, firms uh, are led by managers. Family business has been making a strong claim on the fact that uh, it's what uh, managers are representing and acting on behalf of the ownership group, and the ownership group is the family. And surprisingly, the role of the owners uh, and the way in which an owner manifest uh, their own uh, desire, their own ideas, uh, and uh, approach uh, the companies. But more in general, when we look about family offices, the general family wealth, uh, it's uh, something that is uh, surprisingly under 
investigated and uh, in which uh, a lot can still be done with very strong implication for practice, with very strong implication for um, family offices, for uh, family business consultant, etc. Because at the end, uh, is in the control of the decisions uh, that are made, uh, is in the control of the configuration of the boards that we can really find uh, the ultimate essence of what uh, um, a business is doing and the decisions that are taken. Thank you for that. Perhaps tell us about the European Family Business Center, which you co-founded, um, and starting that network. Perhaps the last question you raised about um, thinking more thoughtfully about the family enterprise and where it's going as an organization led you to form uh, that network. Um, so tell us a bit about the, uh, the EU FBC and what it is and uh, what ideas you try to bring to the table, particularly within the European context. And then it'd be interesting also to hear your thoughts of the different context of the European market for the family firm versus the American context. The idea behind UFBC was uh, to um, answer uh, to a specific problem in a specific moment. Uh, UFBC was created during COVID. It was a time in which uh, we didn't have a clear idea about where we were going with the future of academia, with the future of the world. And uh, it was fundamental to try to create a platform uh, that was allowing to keeping on going strong research connection that were already existing between scholars, but uh, to bring them to the next level. Uh, it was an initiative that started with this intent, so being a sharing uh, platform for uh, keeping uh, alive the research uh, that was conducted in Europe on family business. And uh, through time, it has been just uh, growing. Even after COVID, uh, more centers have been joining. Currently, there are 21 family business research centers in Europe that are part of the network, and the number is still growing. And the main purpose is to create uh, a sharing platform that uh, across uh, the year allow to um, connect uh, and to explore. You know, uh, scholars normally uh, participate to conferences during the summer, and that is the moment in which you get an idea, an overview about uh, what uh, your friends, your colleagues in other institutions are currently investigating outside your inner co-authorship network. But uh, an initiative of this kind, uh, it's a way to create a platform that connects uh, about uh, 300 family business scholars in Europe uh, in a sharing of uh, research, in a sharing of discussion, in a mutual support that creates a, a common identity, but at the same time also an opportunity for getting a constant uh, outlook about what uh, research is currently conducted at different institutions and what are the hot topics that are ongoing uh, in the different regions of Europe as well. Thank you for that. That's uh, quite a substantial organization, and there are many in Europe. I think in the U.S. there's perhaps less. Uh, when you look at uh, Tiger 21 and, and uh, Fox and IPI, there's um, there's more traditional um, organizations, but in Europe it seems like there's many different uh, niche family firm networks and groups uh, that have been that have been expanding. And, and um, do you see do you see the family business 
industry essentially consolidating a bit, um, either at the the thought leadership level or at the at the multifamily office level. What do you see going on in Europe right now? I I see that there are somehow different uh, different instances that we can observe. Uh, and I think that uh, Europe is a very broad context to be just reassuming one single answer. I think that uh, I can say that uh, from the position where I am here in Scandinavia, what we see is that there are a lot of uh, uh, small to mid-sized family firms that are currently, um, where the family are currently actually um, selling uh, their properties that are selling their companies actually to um, some uh, um, local uh, investment groups uh, that are consolidating networks of uh, uh, former family businesses into new um, groups that uh, generally count around 40 to 60 companies that receive uh, share support. Very often, these groups are even created by uh, former family owners who actually liquidated their own businesses, and with the money that they received by selling, uh, they created a new investment vehicle in collaboration with other former family business owners. So they are currently not family businesses, but they are certainly family wealth vehicles. And this is where somehow we can uh, recognize a, a, a difficulty sometimes to discriminate what is the family business level or is the family wealth level or is the family office level. Um, what we see in other regions of Europe, uh, I mean, you look at... That Actually, the last point, yeah. that's why um, I like to use the term family enterprise, because ultimately the family office can be really uh, just a structural element of the family firm. And as, as some people say, for example, that gentleman at Denton's who's uh, often talking about family offices, he likes to, to refer to the business of the family as opposed to the family business. So. Yeah, the the, 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 the the issue with a definition of family enterprises sometimes is that you still remain connected to the business units that are controlled by the family or to the type of investment that the family is doing. Uh, but in the moment in which the family start investing uh, uh, with minority shares uh, on multiple businesses, etc., the the, the, the the boundaries of a definition can become extremely extremely confusing. I, I would say that currently we don't have in literature a, a definition that really would uh, fully represent uh, the entire complexity uh, of the phenomenon because exactly as I was saying before, the heterogeneity of the phenomenon is so broad that uh, somehow we always feel the need to give a label and then to explain uh, what we mean by that label. From another perspective of Europe, I would say that uh, you have all the Eastern European uh, countries that are those that are on the other side experiencing the first succession process in their own uh, in their own history and that actually represent uh, a incredible vivid uh, scenario and settings where uh, entrepreneurial firms are actually transforming into um, family enterprises and, uh, and and you see really the family members uh, that are 
entering into the play, into the later generations, uh, experiencing for the first time uh, this type of transformation. It's something that uh, you can find uh, similar in the, in the Chinese context from, from many aspects. Uh, then you have actually Southern Europe uh, where, uh, and, and Central Europe where you have more consolidated uh, family groups uh, that has been uh, going through across several generations and where you can easily find uh, um, entities that can count uh, even 300 family members, as we well know, kind of similar to uh, a setting in the U.S., I would say that uh, what we observe most probably is that uh, the dynamics are evolving in a bit uh, uh, different way in different regional contexts in Europe. Uh, and different types of ownership models has been adopted more or less in different types of uh, settings. Right, thank you. Um, in my last interview with, um, with Highness uh, Sandor Habsburg, we talked about the core mission of the family firm in general uh, can be quite challenging to pin down. But in his view, um, as with governments over time, a family firm essentially has a core mission to, uh, to survive and to maintain its legacy, essentially um, keep the music going. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of that? I like, I like uh, very much how it's described. I think that uh, um, it's uh, it, you know when we when we look at family, we always look uh, about uh, um, overlap of different uh, of different levels. There is the individual level, and there is the organizational level, and then of course you can go to a business level, etc. But when we just look about um, the family, the family is the sum of uh, several individuals. There are a lot of family members, and sometimes, as we know these numbers can really reach uh, three digits. And uh, um, when we talk about uh, what are the goals, what are the values, it's not obvious that everyone in the family share the same goals and values. It's a constant process of alignment. It's a constant process of uh, uh, conversation. It's a constant process of consolidation and transformation. We are somehow binded to the memories of, uh, of the past. We are binded to the a learning that we receive uh, growing up in a family. At the same time, uh, we might actually uh, develop uh, in a different way uh, interest uh, and focus. Even setting just the priority between uh, financial and non-financial aspects, um, the way in which we can uh, perceive uh, sustainability as something that uh, should lead all of our action or should uh, uh, come later on. These are all aspects that somehow are a constant uh, uh, tension between uh, between family members, and this tension can be very relaxed or can actually reach levels uh, of extreme uh, difficulty. Um, so what I, what I think is that uh, it's very much connected to the degree and the quality of communication that exists uh, among family members and the capacity of uh, having a constructive dialogue about this, because those are the elements at the end that can configure uh, unity in a family or can actually create uh, all these type of disputes that make uh, harder and uh, and complex uh, to, 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 to identify a common point of view that is not just imposed by voting powers and control of shares. Wonderful. Let's talk briefly about 
innovation, and then we're going to open up uh, for the first time to a guest if, uh, of the uh, the AudioCast live, and I'll get back to that in a couple minutes. Talk about innovation in the family business community. We have some guests here um, that are uh, quite involved in the, the technology innovation space, particularly um, Adriana and her, her partner, colleague Phil Strassler, very involved in technology, um, and uh, some others here as well. And we and we we've uh, we've covered also the challenge of 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 advancing entrepreneurship and more more complicated um, sort of risky risky uh, activities within the family firm. It can be um, maybe a, a human capital challenge. It can be merging acquisitions, buying too many companies, um, or or maybe incorporating. Um, a lack of technology or too much technology. So talk just briefly about innovation within the family enterprise and what do you think is the most important element of that um, in today's world? So now speaking about innovation, after that you had Alfredo De Masis as a guest before me, it's uh, it feels a bit uncomfortable. But uh, no, I will say, uh, for me, I think that the, the critical aspect to, to consider about uh, when we talk about uh, innovation and family companies, uh, is the um, is the drivers of innovation is actually what are the factors that push the family to invest uh, in innovation and to work into innovation, uh, and uh, and those drivers uh, are obviously related to um, the return that is expected from innovation. So, and this return is uh, something that uh, should build uh, legacy, should build uh, continuity, should give uh, a future to the um, to the family enterprise. So, in this type of uh, way of considering, I think uh, we are always uh, dealing with a constant trade-off between uh, the cost and the risk of innovation, the fact that uh, innovation has a cost, uh, innovation uh, has uh, uncertain return. We know in general that uh, the more you invest in R&D, the more you can expect a return, but it's not an obvious formula. And this is not just uh, a direct relationship, extremely simple as uh, it might it might sound as and everyone that has been working with this topic also knows very well. Uh, so I would actually say that uh, is uh, is a constant trade-off between uh, our capacity of satisfying uh, the need and the desire of the family today versus uh, the capacity of uh, creating the conditions for optimizing the future of uh, the family and the business um, at a longer range. And in this type of dynamics is uh, at the end the key for reflecting about uh, innovation it's uh, technically it's called a mixed gamble is a is a is a discussion is a decision between how much uh, uh, how much degree of risk we want uh, to take today in order to be able to guarantee our future uh, in a later stage then uh, i will say that uh, it's difficult today to separate a discussion about innovation from a discussion about uh, uh, sustainable innovation uh, because I think that sustainability most probably is one of the keys of uh, uh, innovation in the future, of course, with digitalization and several other factors. But um, at the end, again, it's, uh, it's not... Uh, Maybe it's, 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 it's wrong to consider uh, sustainability just uh, um, 
emotional choice that is done because it can be a very rational decision, the one that is made, uh, because it's uh, to the extent of uh, creating the conditions for being profitable today and also in the future. And, and I think that this is the trade-off with innovation, this capacity of balancing these two dimensions. Wonderful. Thank you for that. All right. Uh, I'm just going to open it up to the listeners um, to ask a question. I have, uh, we're going to have one uh, question. So if, if anyone wants to come on stage, if you go to the bottom and raise your hand, uh, I will select you and come on stage and ask a question to Massimo. All right, uh, Mr. Krauss, go ahead with your question. Gentlemen, can you hear me? Yep, we're good. Thank you so much. So, uh, so I just I just wanted to have a real quick question, right? So, with family enterprises and family owned businesses, right? There's often a disconnect between, say, like a family council and a board, and and things of that nature. Could you just touch real quickly on what you think the role of an independent board chair would be to facilitate those discussions between um, a family council and maybe a fiduciary board? Thank you for your question. I. I think that uh, when we are facing this type of discussion, we are always uh, dealing with uh, um, a framework that was actually created by my, actually my supervisor, Matthias Norquist, that explored the concept of actors and arenas. On the one side, we have actors, we have family and we have non-family uh, members. And those are two types of actors because they have different access to information and they have different interests in the way in which they operate and make decisions. And on the other side, we have different types of arenas and we have a formal and informal arenas. On the one side, we have uh, the formal arena for excellence in a business that is, uh, of course, the board of directors. And we have a formal arena in the family that is uh, the family council. And then we have the informal arenas that are the corridors, the tables, uh, uh, the kitchens in which uh, information are shared and discussed. I think that uh, the non-family chair uh, often has this type of difficulty in uh, having access uh, to the informal settings uh, where discussion takes place in the family. And, uh, and I think that the main aspect is actually to really try to uh, help the family to understand what is the right place for having the right discussion. Uh, way too often uh, the discussion take place in the wrong place. Uh, part of the decision are already taken, are already somehow pre-discussed, and uh, uh, people that are in charge of being uh, active parts of uh, the decision might remain uh, isolated in the moment in which they are needed the most. And uh, in, in that sense, most probably the main role of the non-family chair in that case is truly to help the family to 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 learn this type of uh, this type of structure, the use of the different structure, and to create the conditions for uh, maximizing uh, the decision making that is taken in the right forum with the right actors. Wonderful, Massimo, and thank you for that. Question, Jonathan. Good, uh, good one on that on that uh, topic. Um, I'd like to thank everyone today for joining the Family Business AudioCast, and also our esteemed guest, of course, Massimo Bao, uh, the senior associate professor in family business and ownership, and the director of the Center for Family Entrepreneurship and Ownership at the John Topping International Business School, along with many other 
important posts that he has earned and founded along the way. Thank you, Massimo, for joining today. Thank you so much. This is Artem Smith signing off. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Family Business Audiocast on LinkedIn.